Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is a Design for Living Big Book meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. My name is Val and I'm a compulsive eater and your chairperson for today. To open this meeting, let us have a moment of quiet meditation, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And we start this meeting by remembering our common purpose to extend the heart and the hand of the OA Fellowship to those who still suffer. Let us be mindful of OA's unity with diversity policy, which respects our differences, yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting. Today, we are delighted to have Harlan G joining us to share his experience, strength and hope focused on step nine. Step nine is made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Peg is going to read the 12 steps for us. So Peg, I wonder, would you unmute please and read the 12 steps? Sure. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Peg, for reading those so beautifully. And I would now like to introduce our main speaker for today. And it's my honor to welcome Harlan G to our little meeting. And uh, I would to say good morning, Harlan, although I know it's not morning where you are. It's evening here in Ireland. So um, thank you so much, Harlan, and um, take it away. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Uh, Australia is a place I've always wanted to go. And uh, even though I'm not there, I sort of feel like this is about the next best thing I could hope for is to be there via the magic of Zoom. And I hope that wherever you are, whatever time it is, that you're having a great day. It's a beautiful day here. It's 1.30 in the afternoon, 1.35 in the afternoon here in Arizona. It is 110 degrees 
and it is a very beautiful sunny day in the desert and it's just wonderful and we are here today to talk about step number nine and it's very very wonderful is it odd or is it god that we're talking about step nine on dr bob's birthday dr bob was born on this date uh, 141 years ago and dr bob uh, in 1938, started getting recognized as AA's co-founder. He was not recognized as such at first because there was no term co-founder at first. And then in about 1938, he started to be recognized as AA's co-founder. But let's talk about Dr. Bob for just a second here, and then we'll get into some of the history of step nine. We'll get into some of the history of except when to do so would injure them or others. And we'll talk about some of the things that people do in step nine <clears throat> that are both productive and counterproductive to their programs. And hopefully by the end of this meeting, you'll have a better, clearer understanding of some of the things that we're, that, uh, you know, we may want to avoid or we may want to do a little stronger. But anyway, let's take a look at this thing that I just mentioned in Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob did not just meet Bill Wilson and AA just sprung out of their ears. Nothing could be quite the case. Uh, they met on May 13th, 1935, which was Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, 1935, they met at the Cyberlane Gatehouse in Akron, Ohio. And Dr. Bob was summoned over there by Henrietta Cyberling. And Henrietta Cyberling was part of the family that owned Goodyear Rubber and Tire in Akron, Ohio. And Henrietta knew Dr. Bob and they had had prayer meetings. They had had Oxford group meetings about Dr. Bob's drinking. And when Bill Wilson called Henrietta the day before, May 12, 1935, from the lobby of the Mayflower Hotel, it was as if she just expected him to be there because they had prayed about this and her faith was very, very strong. Henrietta Cyberling was a very good soldier in God's army, to be sure. And so she reacted in a way that many people would not have reacted. She reacted in a way that said, yes, absolutely, come right over. And so there may be people that feel, gosh, I can't believe she reacted that way. She just expected him to have an answer. She just expected him to come and there he was. And he said, I'm a rum hound from New York and I need somebody to talk to. Could you imagine, it's a Saturday afternoon. It's the day before Mother's Day. You're there with your children. You're in the process of separating and divorcing your husband. And a guy calls your phone and says, Hi, I'm a rum hound from New York, and I need a drunk to talk to, essentially saying, do you know any drunks? And she says to him, come right over. That's one of the things in this chain of unlikely events that you have to ask yourself, is it odd 
or is it God? This was just a tremendous, tremendous thing. Well, anyway, Dr. Bob made Anne promise that they would give this guy from New York 15 minutes and then they'll have one of their headaches. He'll have one of his headaches. They were up there for six hours and 15 minutes. They didn't come down from the upstairs until 11.15 p.m. They were up there from 5 to 11.15. And what was so special about what Bill Wilson said to Dr. Bob? Dr. Bob came down first. Bill came down second. And Dr. Bob came down first. And he had a look on his eye as if he had just discovered something. And what he had discovered, even being a physician, he did not know of the physical allergy. He did not know of the mental twist. He didn't know these things. And this was information that he got from Bill Wilson. And Bill Wilson had received that information from Dr. William Duncan Silkworth of the Towns Hospital in New York, where Bill had had been a patient uh, three times. So here is Dr. Bob coming down the stairs six hours and 15 minutes after he had first met Bill. And what did he say to his wife? He said, and I'm quoting, this is the first man pointing at Bill that ever understood my drinking. Now, why is that funny? Why is that comical? The reason that it's comical is Bill Wilson never said one word in six hours and 15 minutes about Dr. Bob's drinking. He only talked about his own drinking. And through identification, through that identification, he, Dr. Bob, was able to understand that he was A, not alone, and that B, that Bill Wilson was indeed an absolute alcoholic. I can tell within a very short period of time who is and who is not a compulsive overeater. Do they speak and understand the language of the heart? There are things that we as compulsive overeaters see. There are things we smell, things we taste, the ways that we react to food, the ways that we react to different things that tell me whether or not the person is on my wavelength or not. It tells me as clear as a beacon in the night, whether or not you either speak the language of the heart or you do not. I'm not saying that people that don't speak the language of heart are bad people. What I'm saying is you can tell from a mile away who understands and who does not understand. It's a very easy thing to, to see. Now, Dr. Bob and Bill met on May the 13th, 1935, which was Sunday, Mother's Day. And Dr. Bob enjoyed a couple of weeks of real good sobriety, but he didn't stay sober. And the reason that he didn't stay sober is because he didn't really understand that he was no exception to any rule. And he was gonna have to do 
step number nine, which there was no step nine at that time, but one of the steps in the Oxford group movement as listed on page 263 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the fourth edition on page 263 in the story, he sold himself short. It says, and I'm quoting, these are the six steps of the Oxford group movement. Number one, complete deflation. Number two, dependence and guidance from a higher power. Number three, a moral inventory. Number four, confession. Number five, restitution. Now remember that word restitution and number six, continued work with other alcoholics. See, amends is AA language and restitution is Oxford group language, but it means the same thing. To amend does not just mean we apologize. We don't apologize to the American constitution. We amend the constitution. And what is the difference? To amend means to repair or change or alter. And that means we will change our behaviors. We will change our attitudes and our behaviors. Restitution, to restitute means to return. To restitute means to restore. Restitution and restore come from the same root word. And so in the Oxford group, they had restitution. In AA, they had amends. But let's take a look at what happened. Dr. Bob, even though he was very enthusiastic about the program, felt that because he was a proctologist, which is a rectal surgeon, that if he went around Akron making amends for the things that he did, he would never get his practice back. And so he believed that he needed to skirt that step and not do it. And what happened to Dr. Bob was he went to Atlantic City and now the dates in the big book and the dates that AA follows are not the dates that are followed by the American Medical Association Convention. Dr. Bob's first day of sobriety in the big book is June the 10th, 1935. And we recognize that today as the birth of AA, but in the account of the American Medical Association uh, Convention that year, which was what Dr. Bob attended, he, the first day was the 10th, not the last day. So he wouldn't have been home until the 17th. But whether it was the 10th or the 17th doesn't really matter. Let's take a look at what happened. When Dr. Bob would not make amends, he found it necessary to drink again. And he got drunk before his train left the station from Akron to Atlantic City, New Jersey. He stayed drunk most of that week in Atlantic City, he got drunk and stayed drunk on the train ride back to Akron, Ohio. He had been drunk for about one week. He comes to Ravenna, Ohio, which is where his nurse slash secretary lived. He turns up at her house. Bill Wilson is still staying. This would be the 9th of June, 1935. And Dr. Bob's house was had Bill Wilson and his wife, Ann, they were there. And Dr. Bob turns up at the home of his nurse slash secretary. 
She calls up Ann Smith on the telephone and says, guess who's at my house drunk? Bill Wilson and Annie go out there in the car and get Dr. Bob. And the next day was June the 10th, 1935. And Dr. Bob had a surgery that he needed to do. He was a proctologist and he needed to do this surgery. And Bill Wilson did something for Dr. Bob on the morning of June the 10th, 1935, that a lot of AA sponsees wish their sponsors would do for them. He popped open a beer and gave it to Dr. Bob to settle down his hands from the delirium tremens so he could perform the operation. Dr. Bob goes into the hospital. He performs the operation. It turns out fine. And Dr. Bob is nowhere to be found. Hours and hours and hours go by. And at 11.45 p.m., Ann Smith and Bill Wilson cannot fall asleep. They're sitting out on the porch and they just don't know what to do. They just figured that the beer triggered Dr. Bob's allergy and he's off to the races again. Dr. Bob lives at, lived at 455 Ardmore Street. So he's walking down the street sober as a, sober as sober can be. He is completely sober. What happened in that day, what happened on the 10th of June, 1935, points us in the direction as to how important this is. And we're gonna talk about that for a little bit. Dr. Bob finally understood that he was no different from any of these other guys, that he was gonna to have to make restitution just like the other fellas did. He went around Akron, making restitution to the patient's people that he had harmed through his drinking. And he never found it necessary to drink liquor again at all, ever, throughout his life. And he died in November of 1950 with over 15 years of complete sobriety, save for a few brief moments of temptation, which he did not yield to, he never found it necessary to drink again. Now, what was the difference? He went around doing his ninth step, what we know today as the ninth step, what they in those days called restitution. Now, where does this come from? Where does this idea of restitution come from? It's very ancient. It's a very ancient thing. In Judaism, because we're a Judeo-Christian ethic, in Judaism, when it comes to be the new year and you're asking God to write you in the book of life, what are one of the instructions? Instead of bringing your offering to God, before you bring it, go do what you need to do to make things right with your fellow human being, Teshuvah, to return. Now, Sam Shoemaker was a very heavy influence in early AA. Bill Wilson asked Sam Shoemaker to write the big book, and he wouldn't do it. Sam Shoemaker was the Episcopal minister at the Cavalry Mission in New York. And Sam Shoemaker had great sway with the boys. He, he really, really 
um, influenced them quite a bit. And years before the big book and years before the formation of the big book of AA, Sam Shoemaker wrote a book called Twice Ministered. And in this book on page 93, he talks about the four impediments to God. What, are in, what is an impediment? What does that mean, an impediment? Well, an impediment is something which slows or stops progress. Slows or stops progress. Now, if you look at the first four chapters of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, we are told over and over again that we have an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. We are told again and again that we must find a power greater than ourselves which will solve our problem. We are told again and again that we cannot do this by ourselves, that we must have God's help. Without help, it is too much for us, we are told in chapter five. And so in order to have a relationship with that power greater than myself, I have to avoid these impediments. What are the four impediments? The first impediment to God is a resentment that I will not let go of, step four. The second impediment is a secret that I will not tell, step five. Now, does that mean I'm gonna put my PIN number and my bank account number or my MasterCard number on the screen here today? Probably not. But what it means is I have a sponsor and you have a sponsor and I tell my sponsor whatever it is I need to tell him that's going on in my life, who I resent, what I resent, who I fear, what I fear, what's going on with me. I tell this to another person because things look different in my mind than they do in the objectivity of another person's mind. So the first of the impediments is a resentment that I will not let go of. The second of the impediments is a secret I will not tell. The third impediment is a, a harmful thrill, a dubious thrill that I will not stop. Lying, cheating, gossiping. As long as I keep doing those things, I will not get to God. And the fourth of the impediments, pay attention to this one, is a restitution that I will not make. And I see people all the time struggling in their program. And one of the reasons that they struggle in their program is because they have an amends, they have a restitution that they've convinced themselves they either won't make or they've convinced themselves that they're supposed to get a certain result from making it. In other words, everybody's supposed to like me and everybody's supposed to stick to my script when I go in to make this amend. And that's not the case. We are not in the results business. Very quickly, I'm going to review the four impediments. Number one, a resentment that you will not let go of, step four. Number two, a secret that you will not tell, step five. Number three, a harmful thrill that you will not stop, steps six and seven, and a restitution that you will not make, steps eight and nine. So those are the four impediments to God.
And one of the things that I see over and over again are people trying to do this on their own. I need a sponsor. I need someone else to listen to my BS so that I don't rush out there and create more harm in doing an amends that doesn't need to be made. I make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. I make direct face-to-face amends to people wherever possible. Now, there are gonna be some people that I cannot find Women are harder to find than men because women frequently change their name, their last name, where men usually don't. So women are a little tougher to find because I may not realize that you got married in 2013 or 2017 and you don't have that last name anymore. And that can make it quite difficult to find women um, because of that factor but we do the very best we can. Another thing that I need to remember in doing step nine is I need to know what is it that I'm making an amends for? I've had people come up to me and they make, they're making an amend to me because they didn't used to like me or they didn't used to like the way I share on a vision for you, or they don't like that I talk about food, because sometimes I'll mention Oreo cookies, or I'll mention Doritos, or I'll mention uh, Kit Kat bars, or Butterfinger bars, because I know in the big book, it says that any attempt to shield the alcoholic from temptation is doomed to fail. And if I say Butterfinger bar, and you go out and eat a Butterfinger bar today, that's not on me, that's an indication of your spiritual condition. You're aware that Butterfinger bars exist. You didn't need me to tell you. You're aware that McDonald's is out there and Burger King and pizza. You have that in Australia too. I'd bet my, I'd bet my last, <laughs> my last uh, anything on that. So you're aware that there are foods out there that you shouldn't be eating like donuts and cake and cookies. You don't need me to tell you about it. And if you're going to use me as an excuse, well, that's on you. That's not on me. You could sit there and holler about Oreo cookies day and night. I'm not eating them. Stand on your head. Squirt nickels out your ear. I'm not eating Oreo cookies today. Not going to happen. So what I need a sponsor for is to plot the course. I have my fourth step. I have my fifth step. I have a discussion with a sponsor or with somebody about the harms, the resentments, the sexual harms, the resentments and fears that I've had. And my A step comes off my, my uh, four step inventory. And here's another mistake I see, and we're going to get back to the actual amends in a minute. But since this is in my head, I'm going to mention it now. What I see too much of today are people not doing step 10 while they're doing steps six, seven, eight, and nine. You see in the instruction for step 10 on page 84, it very clearly states we, com- we vigorously commenced this way of living, step 10, as we cleaned up the past. 
It doesn't say we vigorously commence this way of living after we cleaned up the past. It says as, in other words, concurrently, as we cleaned up the past. There's a reference to meditation in the step nine portion of the big book. And there's a reference to doing this while we're cleaning up the past in the big book for step 10. So wherever I see relapse, I most often see relapse in steps two and 10. And if you're around me, and if you know me, and you've heard some of my podcasts, you know that I believe that two and 10 are the most underutilized steps, and three and four are the most misunderstood. Because without step 10, I am going to be scared to make these amends. I'm going to be frightened because I'm going to hope that you'll stick to my script while we're making the amend. I'm going to want you to like me. I'm going to want you to forgive me. I'm going to want to, I, I want you to give me the result of everything I want so that I don't have to fear it. And I need step 10 because I can't control the script of the world. And so step 10 gives me a mechanism with which to process the fear and the residual anger, the jealousy that I may have. Jealousy is not a character defect. It's a byproduct of the character defect of fear and anger. So I don't have to worry about what my character defects are. My character defects are selfish, dishonest, resentful, and fearful. Yelling at your dog, being late for work, procrastinating on long-term projects are not character defects. They are behaviors that stem from character defects. Big difference, big difference. So I institute step 10 with people that I sponsor as soon as we begin six, seven, eight, and I turn them loose on their A-step list, we start reading about steps 10 and 11 as well. And then I'm going to, before they make any amends, I have them run it by me. And these are the questions that I want answered. What is it specifically that you're making an amends for? Just because you drifted away from your college roommate 30 years ago and you no longer communicate with them, that is not necessarily a harm that you did others. You don't make a ninth step amend for that. You make a ninth step amend if you've harmed them. If you've harmed them. And when you say harm, I want to know specifically, what did you do to them to harm them? And when you go to make these amends, you are going to mention specifically, what is it that you did? You're going to express your contrition for doing so. And then whenever possible, you are going to restore whatever it is you took from them. If it's money, be prepared to pay it back. If you can't pay it back all in one hunk, you start making payments. My amends were money amends. I did not kiss anybody's wife. I didn't kiss anybody's girlfriend. I didn't do anything like that. I didn't have that in my history. What I had in my history were money amends. And so I had to pay back that money that I took by lying. I lied to people when the truth would have served me better. 
I lied. I was often cruel. I said things that I wish I didn't say. I had a mentally ill mother and I blamed her for everything. And I was very upset with her because she had three distinct personalities, screaming, raving lunatic, two-year-old, and a pretty together person. And I didn't have a mother that I could lean on. And my father was quite elderly. He was 54 years old when I was born. So that by the time I entered kindergarten, he was 60 years old. I'm 67 years old. When I was 60, when he was 67 years old, I was 13. I'm a stronger, more physically fit 67 year old and healthier 67 year old than he was. And I don't have the energy to chase after a 13 year old boy, let me tell you. And so I blamed my mother for everything in my life. And I convinced myself that if she wasn't mentally ill, I would be fine. And I said things to her that were dreadful, but I didn't get into program until long after she was dead. My mother died in 76 when I was 22 years old. My father died in 78 when I was 24. I didn't attend my first meeting of OA until February 2nd, 1979. And so I had to face these amends to these two parents of mine who loved me more than life, who adored me who thought the sun and the moon rose in my eyes. I wanted young American together parents. I wanted Rob and Laura Petrie for parents. And I got Max and Virginia Grabowski. Very, very different concept. Very different. How do I make amends for that? by living a life in recovery as best I can and serving other people like today and running around doing retreats and going to meetings and doing the best I can to be as helpful to others as I can possibly be. How do I make amends for some of the people that I've harmed in my life that I cannot find? I write them an honest letter. Obviously I can't mail it because I don't know where they are. I remember a little boy I knew when I was about 10 years old and he was a sweet little boy that lived in my big apartment building. Sweet little boy, never wanted to hurt anybody. And I was pitching in a baseball game that we had and I thought it would be funny if I threw the ball into the crowd. We were playing with a rubber ball, but still it hurts. And I, and instead of pitching it to the batter, and I threw the ball and it hit him. And he was four years old at the time. And he cried like you wouldn't believe. Oh, how I wish I had never done that. And everybody was laughing except for him. I'd give anything not to have done that. I wish that I could take back some of the ugly, horrible things that I said. I wish I could take back some of the things I didn't say. I wish I could take back some of the horrible lies that I told other people to manipulate them into cashing my bad checks. I remember an amends I'd like to share with you today. 
I remember an amends to a guy who was an endodontist. An endodontist specializes in root canal. And when I was younger, the dentists didn't do a lot of root canal. Now they all do root canal, so you don't have to go to an endodontist anymore, I don't think. But anyway, this guy was brutal to me. He walks in, and the first thing he says to me is, you have to be the fattest man I've ever seen in my entire life. He says, my God, how much do you weigh? And I'm numb because this, the, the nurse came in and numbed me up. And his, his face is right here. He's working on my tooth. His face is right here. And all he is screaming is, I'm going to break his chair. And how fat are you? And how much do you weigh? And what do you eat for dinner? And why, haven't, why hasn't your doctor put you on a diet? What, why do you eat so much? What the hell is the matter with you? And then unmercifully as this disease treated me, I did break his chair. And then he started screaming even worse. He started screaming at me and screaming at his daughter. His daughter ran the office. He started screaming that never, ever, ever should another appointment be taken from me ever again, that he never wanted to see me as a patient. And he, I had good insurance at that time. He told me, I am not going to see you again. You have to go back to your regular dentist. And he put a, a temporary filling in the root canal. And my, I had good insurance, but my end of it was still $62. Now, my end of that would be $400 or $600 on a root canal. But then it was $62. Well, you know what this guy could do for his $62, right? He could, he, he could stick that. I ain't paying this guy. And years went by, years, and I didn't pay him a dime. And they're sending me collection letters like I gave a damn. My, my credit was so bad, there were banks in Chicago that wouldn't have given me 10 singles for a 10, cash. So this guy can sing for $62. Years go by. Now I'm back in program. Now I'm doing step four, five, six, seven, eight. And his name is on there because I resented him and I feared seeing him. So he, he was on my resentment list. And my not too subtle sponsor says to me, what about the doctor? And I said, it's a dentist. And he said, shut up. And I didn't want to pay this guy. And I did every amends you can imagine to avoid this guy. I do not want to make amends to this guy. So I did a step 10. And what was the dishonesty here? The dishonesty is I owe this guy 62 bucks. I'm going to go pay him. And I went on a Thursday. I, I remember it like it was five minutes ago. It was 35 years ago. I went on a Thursday and I can see the teller of the bank. She put a 50, a 10 and two ones in my hand, $62, 50, 10, two ones in my hand. I go across the street to his office, right by my high school. I went to Mather High School in Chicago, north side of Chicago, born and raised in Chicago. 
And I don't see his name on the door anymore. And I don't see him, but, but even though you wouldn't see the dentist through the door, he's in the back with patients, but I don't see his name, but I see his daughter. I recognized his daughter. She was gorgeous. But anyway, I walk in there. <clears throat> I talk to the daughter. She remembered who I was. She, oh, you lost so much weight. You look so good. Blah, blah. So I tried to give her the $62. Now, there were people that I owed money to that didn't take my money. They says, I appreciate what you're doing for your life. I don't want your money. I, I let them do that. But this is one I knew I had to pay because I had put this off and I had painted myself in a corner here. I need her to take this money. I says, please take the money, do with it as you see fit, but I need to make this amends to you. So she did. My feet did not touch the ground. My tires did not touch the ground on the way home. I could barely choke down my dinner. I was not interested in food. I felt nearer to God than I probably ever did in my life. Now, we know that the spiritual awakening as the result of the steps is the result of these steps, the result of these steps. But there's three other sub results to these steps. You get right with God. You get right with yourself and right with your fellow human being. And step nine is the great emancipator. Because what we have been eating over, boys and girls, from the time we were children, is not that we liked the food. We have been eating over the buildup of human emotions. And that the guilt and the shame and the remorse and the anger and the fear and the happiness all these various emotions are what food solved. See, food was never the problem for people like me. Food was the solution to the problem. And if food is the solution to the problem, the problem is the buildup of emotions. Lack of power was my dilemma. And I can no more fight jealousy, lust, anger, fear, shame, guilt, remorse, regret, happiness. I can no more fight these things than I could fight a dragon. Lack of power was our dilemma. We had to have God's help. In another part of the book, it says, without help, it is without God's help, it's too much for us. And step nine is what allows me to have God's promise of being allowed to walk the streets of free man. I don't have to worry about who I lied to. I don't have to worry about who I owe money to. I don't have to worry about the fact that when, when, when Joe says he was a Republican, I was a Republican. When Fred says he's a Democrat, I'm a Democrat. I can be myself. I am free to be the man that God intended me to be. So you ask the question, should you make amends to yourself? No, this is the amends to yourself. This is the emancipator. 
This is freedom. How free do you want to be? How free do you want to be? And I hear people all the time telling me what amends they're going to make and what amends they're not going to make. And I'm not going to make amends to that witch. And I'm not going to make amends to that putz. How free do you want to be? And that's why we need a sponsor. And that's why it's so vital that we have that person to be our guide so that we're not running out there blindly, creating more problems. Direct amends, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball. Now I wanna talk about something else. And what I wanna talk about is accept when to do so would injure them or others. When they say others, they're not talking about you or me. Yeah, I didn't wanna pay all that money back, but if I was smart enough to steal it, I was smart enough to pay it back. And I know that it's money out the window. So you might say, well, I have kids now and I have a wife now and I have a husband now and it's gonna hurt them if I have to pay the money back. Tough noogies. That's not the person that we're talking about. Where that comes from specifically is a guy by the name of Ernie Gehrig. And Ernie Gehrig was from Ypsilanti, Michigan. And in Ypsilanti, Michigan, not only was Ernie an alcoholic, but he was quite the ladies' man. He loved the ladies and they loved him back. And one day, Ernie and his wife, not Ernie Galbraith, Ernie Gehrig, there's two Ernie G's in early AA history. Ernie Galbraith married Dr. Bob's daughter and Ernie Gehrig did not. That's the best way to tell them apart. Ernie Garrett gets a job in Toledo, Ohio at a machine shop. And while he's there, his wife hears about a doctor in Akron. This is 1935. She hears about a doctor in Akron that's fixing drunks. So she grabs him by the ear and off they go to Akron, Ohio. And he gets a job in Akron, but they have no place to live. And right after Dr. Bob said goodbye to Bill Wilson in September of 35, along comes Ernie Gehrig and his wife, and they move into Dr. Bob and Ann's home. It is now October of 1935, and Ernie's got a couple of girlfriends and a wife, and He's not exactly sober, but he's trying for what it's worth. And his wife says, I've had enough of his shenanigans. I'm going to get myself a boyfriend. I'm an attractive woman. Men look at me all the time. I'm going to get myself a boyfriend and give him a taste of his own medicine. And she did. She got herself a bow in Akron while she was married. It's a Friday night in mid-October, 1935. They're at the Oxford group meeting at the home of T. Henry and Claris Williams in Akron. And the alcoholics are in the living room and the women are in the kitchen. And Ernie's wife says to one of the other women, I've got a date tonight. 
And the woman says, with your husband? She says, hell no, I got a boyfriend. And the woman puts down what she's doing and she says, you've got to tell Ernie about what's going on here. She said, why? He's got all these girlfriends. Why can't I have a boyfriend? She said, that's not our way of life. You have to tell him immediately. And the next day was Saturday, very rainy. You know, those, if you know those fall days in October in the Midwest, I'm born and raised in Chicago and this is in Ohio. They're made for napping. You get these Saturday afternoons where it's raining and it's cold. It's real good football weather, but it's really, really good sleeping weather too. It's a good day to take a nap. Well, anyway, Dr. Bob and Ann Smith were out getting some groceries and Ernie lays this on. Ernie's wife lays this on Ernie that she's got a boyfriend. Ernie was not exactly thrilled, so he grabs a knife out of the kitchen drawer, and he's chasing her through the house with the knife, trying to kill her. Luckily, she was fast on her feet. She stayed ahead of him. And in walks Dr. Bob and Ann Smith, arms full of groceries. In they walk, and he's lunging at his wife with a knife. Dr. Bob gets the knife, but not before he's lunging at Bob and Ann Smith with the knife, cursing, yelling, screaming, and they say, you guys have got to leave our house. This is where it comes from that you do not make amends. You make amends except when to do so would injure them or others. What should she have done? cut off the affair and stopped it. Unless he knew about it, she had no right to dump that on him. She had no right to dump that on him. Forget about what he was doing. He's a, he was a putz. She had no right to hurt him in an attempt to make an amend. So when we make the amends, what is it you're making the amends for? You express your regret. You express your contrition. You talk to the person about how wrong you were and how you regret doing it. And then when possible, you make restitution. If it's money, you pay it back. Now, let's say you stole, you shoplifted from a store and you stole from Fred's grocery store. Sending an anonymous check to a food bank is not making an amends to Fred's grocery store. Sending an anonymous check to the welfare league of animals or dogs or cats is not the same as making an amends to a store or an institution or a company that you've worked for. Direct amends to the person or institution that you've harmed eyeball to eyeball, face to face. And there are some amends we do not make. We write them a letter and what do we do? We don't mail it, we change our behavior. We don't apologize to the constitution, we amend the constitution. And when we amend, that means we repair or we alter. So amends doesn't mean that we mutter, I'm sorry. 
Amend means that we are now prepared to make a change in our behaviors, attitudes, and our outlook. Very, very important for us to remember this. What am I making an amends for? Who did I hurt? What did I do to them? You do not have to worry about the outcome. Some people are they're not going to make the amends because I'm afraid they won't be my friend or I'm afraid they will be my friend. We are not in the results business. If you want to recover and I want to recover, I need to make whatever amends I need to make. I cannot pick and choose the amends that I'm going to make. I make amends to all people I've harmed, not some, not most, all. I make direct amends to such people, except when to do so, wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. But what does it say in step eight? Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. I don't get to choose. Some people are dead. I write them a letter. Some people I can't find. I write them a letter too. Obviously, I don't mail it, but I'm prepared to make that amends should the opportunity come up. And I am ruthless in my amends. I was ruthless in my pursuit of food. I didn't let anything stand in the way of that, did I? I sure as hell wasn't going to let anything stand in the way of my pursuit of Butterfinger bars or, or Kit Kat bars or Raisinets or what, whatever. Nothing was going to stand in my way. And in doing so, you end up making an amends to yourself because what you've done is you've set yourself free. You've set yourself free. We work the steps in order, but we work them together. So I start 10 as soon as I come out of five and six, because it says we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. And without step 10, I won't have the wherewithal to continue doing step nine. I'll get scared. I'll get angry. I'll get jealous. I'll start thinking. And when I start thinking, oh, my God, no good is going to come from me thinking. That's why I need a sponsor. And when we're in nine and we're doing these amends, I will have a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. 
fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. We start to look the world in the eye in this process. See, I didn't know how to look at people. I knew how to look down at you and I knew how to look up at you, but I didn't know how to look at you. And in step four and five and six and seven and eight and nine and 10, what I'm learning continuously is I am a human being just like you. And I believe that these thoughts that I had about the world and food and me were secret and unique unto me. And I come to find out that I'm just another bozo on the bus. And that we've all done things that we regret. We have a way of assuaging that through this method of amends. And we will be working on this for the rest of our lives. In 10, we continue. In 11, we practice. Excuse me, in 11, we improve. And in 12, we practice. These are very, very important concepts. I need a sponsor. I need someone objective to run things by. I hope that our talk about step nine today has expanded your knowledge, maybe historically of where this stuff comes from, but certainly I hope sincerely that you will understand better why we do the things that we do and that we do them on every one of our amends. We make direct amends wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. We do not make amends to ourselves. We make amends to ourselves by doing the steps, by having that spiritual awakening. And when they say, except when to do so would injure them or others, they're not talking about you. I was smart enough to steal the money. I'm smart enough to pay it back. And I'm even with the house today. I walked around with guilt and shame my whole life. I walk around a free man. There's nobody here in Scottsdale that can say I owe them money except Compass Bank because I have a mortgage on my home. I paid cash for my car. I don't owe any credit card debt. No one here can say I misrepresented myself in any way at all. They can't. That's freedom. And I wish it for you and the people around you. And we'll end with that because our hour is now up. Thanks. Thank you so much, Harlan. It's always an inspiration and a joy to hear you talk and share your experience, strength and hope with us. Thank you for that very much. And um, we are now going to transition to the question and answer segment, if that's OK with you. Um, and I'd like to introduce Dean and he is our moderator for today. So thank you, everybody. Thanks, Val. Thank you, Pastor Ada. Thank you, Harlan. I have some questions here and I'll start. Is lying to someone harm? That's the first question. 
In most cases, yes. If I say I caught a fish and the fish weighed three pounds and I say the fish weighed four pounds, I'm not really hurting them. But if I use those lies to hurt the person, yes. But what I would say is if you've lied to a person and you, you, you're always better off making an amends. Thank you. Can you talk about the link between step two and step 10, please? The link between step two and step 10 is very, very solid. Two is married to 10 and two is married to 11. And two is very, very key. Step two says, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. It does not say believe that God would restore me to abstinence. It says, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Sanity is a much higher ceiling than abstinence or sobriety. Came to believe indicates that this is going to be a process, that it is not going to be an event, that this is something I'm going to have to work at for the rest of my life. I work at my relationship with God in the same way that I work with in, in my relationship with anybody that I care about that I want in my life. There are some of you on here, I, I haven't had a real chance to look through here or see who's here, but I bet there's one. I bet that there is some of you, there's two, there's three. There are some of you that I know better than others. And the ones that I know, the reason that I know them is I work at the relationship. I talk to them. I listen to them. I remember things about them. My relationship with God is no different. Where it starts for me is to have a concept of that God, a concept of that power greater than myself. One day I'll come back. We'll just do something about step two. We'll just do how to find a higher power or, or how, to, how to do step two. But Because this is a long discussion and I don't want to make it that long. But okay, let's finish our thought here. That we work at these things. That it is not a one and done kind of thing. I have to pray. I have to meditate. I have to conduct myself in a way that I know God would have me be. When I'm conducting myself in a way that I know God is in disagreement with, there is a, an angst in my soul. There is a pain in my soul because I understand very well that I can't, I cannot be free of the food. I cannot be free of anger. I cannot be free of fear while I'm conducting myself that way. And what is the problem? The problem is the buildup of human emotions. Came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And in step 10, it will talk about sanity twice at the bottom of 84, top of 85. Sanity is much more all-encompassing than sobriety or abstinence. Sane people don't lie. Sane people don't, are not codependent like that. Sane people are who they are. And they conduct themselves in a way where they don't put chocolate cake in their mouth. 
anybody that's had the kind of pain and degradation and humiliation that I have had at the hands of food doesn't eat buckets of Kentucky fried chicken and throw the bones out the window on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. So the way that I keep saying is to keep taking the actions of 10 and 11, but I take all the actions, but primarily 10, 9, 10, 11, because this is where it is for me. So it's very, very important for me to see that I am constantly working on my relationship with God. And how do I most often work on my relationship with God? By working on my relationship with his children. I cannot love God and spit on his children. I cannot love God and lie to his children. I cannot love God and steal from his children. I cannot love God and have adulterous affairs on his children. It, it's not congruent. So they are linked absolutely with steel. With steel, they're linked. And this is what's very, very important, okay? I hope that answers it. Thank you. Uh, next question. You have said mm. step three and four are misunderstood. Right. Most misunderstood. I think it was exactly what you said. Uh, step could three you, and four are the most misunderstood steps. Could you expand on that, please? We make them into something that they're not. They, people want to do all kinds of writing and reading and all kinds of stuff on step three. All step three is, is a decision to turn my will and life over to God. And how do I do that? By doing four through 12 every day for the rest of my life. I don't turn anything over to anybody in step three. I don't turn anything over to anybody in step three. I say the prayer and I move on to step four. And in four through 12, this is how I turn things over to God. So step three is very simple. Based on what you've seen in your life, Harlan, now that you know you're a compulsive overeater, now that you've read the doctor's opinion in the first three chapters, now that you've read chapter four to the agnostic, do you believe that you're going to be able to help yourself? No, I can't. I need to turn my life, which is my action, and my will, which is my thinking, over to God. How do I do that? I do it by doing four through 12. If you have actually done step three, you're walking around with paper and a pencil doing your fourth step. I talked to a woman two weeks ago. How long have you been on step three, I queried. And she said, about a year and a half. How could you be on step three for anything more than a minute? All it basically is, is you're saying a prayer and then you're immediately picking up step four. And even in step four, people want to make it into something much more complicated than it is. There's nothing in step four that says you inventory your character assets. Nothing. There's nothing in there that says you make a list of this and a list. All you have to do is follow the instructions. You should be done with step four in about three hours, tops, tops. And people draw it out and draw it out. They're not really working on it for weeks and weeks. No, they're not. You can't convince me of that. 
So the actual work time is about three hours. You know who or what you resent, you know who or what you fear, and you know your sexual harms done others. You know every, you know the answer to every question. And if you miss one, that's why we have step 10. Get it done. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overthink it. There's no reason to overthink it. And that's my answer. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, can you talk about how you do a 10th step? How do you know when you're irritable, restless? If you're thinking and about something two, three times, you start doing step 10. You make the call, you do it, then you call the person to make amends and you reach out, you, you help others. It's a two, three minute step. I've done lots of podcasts on how to do step 10. I would recommend them. On Vision for You, there's one called God's Cold Shower. I'm proud of that one. And on scottsdalebigbook.com, scottsdalebigbook.com, you can look up where I do step 10. Very simple. There's podcasts. There's examples of phone calls on there. Lots of examples on how to do it. scottsdalebigbook.com. How do you know when you're irritable, restless, and discontent? I often don't pick it up. If, you, if you're thinking about something more than two, three times, it's time to do a 10 step. Question, I have done my ninth step, but I still feel the weight of guilt and shame. I still feel like I am a bad person. Will this feeling go away with time? Have I missed something in the previous steps? Could be. Could I don't have an in, enough information to answer that question. I don't have enough information. Did you omit anything? Did you omit? Did you, are you sure that when you met with that person, you covered everything? Or are you still ridden with guilt and shame because they didn't give you the results that you wanted? Maybe you wanted them to confess their shortcomings and they didn't do it. So you're mad. Maybe you wanted them to be your best friend now and they're not. Maybe you wanted them never to be friends with you and they want to be. I don't know. I don't have enough information to really answer that question. But it sounds to me like you didn't get a result that you were looking for and you're mad. We are not in the results business. We leave results up to God. We are here to sweep off our side of the street and we do not concern ourselves with results. <clears throat> Question, what if the person you need to make an amends to won't meet with you? And there's nothing you can do. You cannot force somebody to take your amends. You've asked them, they've said no. You write out the letter, you write out an amends, you don't mail it, you just hang on to it and see if, if a situation presents itself. Nobody has under any obligation to listen to our amends. Keep living your life and make the rest of them. Don't stop. Keep, keep going. Don't stop. I've had people stop. Don't do that. Work around them. Thank you. Question. If I can't do a face-to-face -face amends because the person I harm now lives overseas, but I find them on Facebook, can I make an amends over a private message on Facebook or WhatsApp? No. Try to do it where you can hear their voice. Try to do it where you can see their face. With Zoom, it should be pretty easy. 
You want to know that they've heard you. You want to know. You want to hear that their voice. I wouldn't do it on a text like a Facebook message thing. I would not do that. Because you don't know what they're, you don't know. You can't hear their voice. You don't know. So I would, I would set up a, uh, a call or I would set up a Zoom, preferably Zoom, so you can see their face. It's very simple to do that. Very simple, especially today. It's nothing. Thank you. Next question. Dr. Bob was still drinking when he went and made his ninth step amends. I wouldn't recommend anybody still drinking. And he had, he had drank that morning, but he wasn't drinking that day. He was done drinking forever. I wouldn't recommend drinking while you're making your, while you're doing your steps, you'd be making a big mistake. Some people say we have to be abstinent from step one to do the rest of the steps. Correct. From Dr. Bob's story, he was free after step nine. What is your experience? Thoughts My experience on is Dr. Silkworth is right. Three times in the doctor's opinion, he says, put the food down. We must, be, we must be clear. We must be free before we do anything. Put the food down for two days and then get started. The food has to be down for two days and the food has to be down. You don't know how to put the food down? Yes, you do. You've all been on diets before. You're powerless, but you're not helpless. Go on a diet for a couple of days until you have your spiritual experience or your awakening. Put the food down. What if you stole money from your parents when age 10 for sweets? How do you make amends on that? Pay it back. Apologize for what you've done and pay it back. I'm thinking that if they were 10 and the parents, and what happens if the parents are dead in this case? Write them a letter, read it at their gravesite. Thank you. Next question. How do I deal with an amend that I need to make to someone I'm still very resentful towards? Well, you better look back at your fourth step and you better remember that your, your resentment is killing you. It's not killing the other person. Have you really done a fourth step? Have you really seen your part in this? Have you really done a fifth step? Have you done a sixth and a seventh? You can be as angry as you want to be, but you're not going to recover that way. You're not going to recover that way. So you can be as angry as you want to be. We don't forgive the person because they deserve to be forgiven. We forgive them because we deserve not to be angry anymore. You don't want to forgive them. That's your business. I've had a lot of people do really horrible things to me. I forgive them. Not because they, need to, they deserve to be forgiven, but because I deserve not to be angry anymore. Thank you. Next question. Is it necessary when making the amends to recall and talk about every detail of the mistake we made? An example to talk about the you have to talk about the exact lie, or can we speak about lying to the person in general? I would get real specific. I would get as specific as I could. That way you clean out the closet. Do your 10 step before you go see them. Do step 10 and clean out the closet. How free do you want to be? 
How free do you want to be? How do you how do you make an amend to a store you shoplifted at that is no longer in business? You try to find the owner of the store if you can. If you can't, make a donation to somebody, but you do the best you can to find the person that you actually stole from. What if we resent someone who wronged us, for example, being bullied? Presumably, we can't make amends then, question mark. Well, did you harm them? Just because someone bullied you doesn't mean you harmed them. What if we resent someone who wronged us? You can be as resentful as you want to be. You go for it. Knock your socks off, but you're not going to recover like that. There are people here. There's 87 of us. There's people here that have been raped. There's people here that have been abused. There's people here that have been physically abused. There's people here that have been abandoned. There's people here that have had horrible racial and religious prejudice heaped on them. There are people here who have known all sorts of injustices. And you are free to be as angry as you want to be if you don't want to recover. But at some point, you're going to have to say to yourself, how free do I want to be? You can hang on to that resentment. It's not working for you. So that's my answer. And that is, again, it boils down to how free do you want to be? Anger is the dubious luxury of normal men. There was no resentment in the harm. What do I do with the resentment? You make amends. There was no resentment. In the Sorry, there was no, there was no, there, I resented them. I did not harm them. You do four, five, six, seven. Four, five, six, seven. You let go of the resentment. Let yeah. go of it. Thank let you. You may want to have a conversation with the person that said, yeah, you know, I had some ill feelings towards you. I was going through my disease. I was, you know, I was this, I was that. But if you didn't harm them, specifically harm them, then what are you making amends for? Thank you. I stole money from my mother's purse. To tell her I stole from her would hurt her. Do I pay back the, the, the money separatists? You, you own up to it and you pay her the money back. We are not in the results business. She probably knows about it anyway. Thank you. Okay. Are we done? One more. Okay. About the dentist. The dentist. Okay. That's a good story. Okay. It was a great story. Thank you. Yeah. So you look through the window. You didn't see him. You talk yeah. about making eyeball to eyeball amends. You gave it to his daughter and mm-hmm. felt good going down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Why didn't you make it direct amends to him? He was dead. Right. He had died a year before. Thank you. He was dead. Okay. What about if you have been passive aggressive about people behind their back? They don't know. You make amends to them for gossiping about them. You make amends and say, I was passive aggressive. I did this. I did that. Absolutely. Therein lies the question. Therein lies the answer. Do you make amends to the people that you 
told that you gossip to or the person sure, you, you want about? to if, you, if it's going to clear your conscience absolutely if it's going to help you you do it whatever it takes whatever it takes sure thank you question is it a defect to want someone to like you is no. that no is it's that not a defect it's a natural instinct but not everybody's going to like us not everybody likes me. Not everybody likes you. You don't like everybody. I don't like everybody. You know, there, there was a point in my life, not because of this disease, but because of other craziness, where if everybody in the whole world was wearing a T-shirt that says, I love Harlan, and they were carrying signs that say, Harlan is the greatest. We love Harlan. And there was one guy in outer Mongolia that didn't have a sign, I would go out to outer Mongolia and I would talk to this guy and win him over. Not everybody's going to like anybody. 10% of the people are going to like you. 10% of the people are going to dislike you. And the 80% in the middle, you're not even registering on their radar, nor am I. I don't like everybody but I expect everybody to like me. Doesn't work that way. Does not work that way. Thank Just you. Just doesn't. Just doesn't. Next question. How do you start looking at people not down or up? By working the steps continually, taking fifth steps, doing 10 steps, all of a sudden you start to realize I'm just another bozo on the bus. You just keep working your program. It'll be there. We can look the world in the eye, it says on step five. The step five promises we can look the world in the eye. Beautiful promise. <clears throat> Thank you, Harlan. That's the... That was the last question. Okay. I'm there meeting back to Valo. Thank you so much, Dean. And thank you, Harlan, for your patience with us there. Um, a reminder that a Design for Living Big Book OA meeting is a daily meeting, people. Um, we're meeting at the same time tomorrow, but it's a 45-minute meeting. Um, and Monday to Friday, we meet at 6.30 Melbourne time and 7.30 Saturday and Sunday at Melbourne time. So now I just like to say, uh, check out our website on ad4l.info. So now may I invite Francine to um, unmute and read the promises, which will be posted in the chat section of this meeting. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realise that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialise if we work for them. <laughs> 